Abracadabra, one, two, three, let us see what we will see. It's the DC3 cast. Welcome, everybody. I am Brian. With me, as always, are my own personal Mr. Wackies, Vincent Zach, and uh, we're here to talk about DC Comics. We, we may or may not turn into inflatables, We uh, and uh, we're just going for it tonight. Everybody put on your inflatables. <laughs> Become inflatable. Uh, I feel like becoming inflatable is the catchphrase of like a cult someplace. You know, that that's what we're all supposed to do, that we're being called to become inflatables. And, uh, you know... So Mr. He's, he's yeah. winking at them a little? Exactly, yes. We're going to help and have fun tonight. We're going to help guide people into comics, and we're going to help them have fun reading Batman number 48. Yeah, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about the big news of the day. We are recording this on June 7th, and today there was the announcement of seven new Vertigo titles. This is to go with the four Sandman Universe titles that are launching in August. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And uh, four of these are coming out before the end of the year, and three of them are coming out in 2019. So Vertigo is sort of doing a long, um, a longer rollout than maybe we expected. But some of these titles are pretty uh, pretty fun. So um, I put this link in the chat. Do you guys have it open with the different books? Yeah. Uh, Vince, mm-hmm. why, don't, why don't you read the first, uh, or give us the first couple, and then, I'll, and then we'll sort of go around and talk about them. Tell us about Border okay. Town first. All right. Uh, Border Town, written by Eric Escovel, uh, illustrated by a uh, friend of the site, right? Yeah. Ramon yeah. Villalobos. Yeah. Mm. Uh, colored by... Uh, Tamra Bonvillain. Um, that is a wonderful creative team, I think. Absolutely. And I think, I actually, let me say right up front, the creative teams across the board on these books were pretty fresh, you know? Absolutely. There were some, there were some DC-friendly names that we've seen before, a, a couple of them, but for the most part, it's it's creators that you don't normally associate with DC Comics and some that you don't really think about with comics in in at all. So, right. uh, but yeah. So, um, well, I don't know. Do you want? You, should we talk about what this book is about, or do you want to just go through? Uh, we'll, we'll do a quick summary of what we think. So, it appears that this takes place in a uh, in a town where essentially uh, Mexican like folklore creatures come into the real world, which Cute is a pacabra. Yeah, which is super fun. Yeah, super yep. fun, um, and uh, probably you know going to touch quite a bit upon uh, current events. A which a bit, lot of I these think. books, pro- it seems like, are going that route. So yeah, I I think that's a really strong move for Vertigo. I think you know we just we just reread some of uh, Shade the Changing Man. Uh, now I don't think at that particular point in time it was technically a vertigo book the the issues that we read right but of course you associate it with that and and that was a i I wouldn't say that the that they were current events that that shade was touching on but they were political in nature and very uh social commentary type things you know and i think that that i think vertigo should do that yeah absolutely and i keep reading this bit here in the in the 
solicit or whatever where it says god dang illegals i'm reading that with hank hill's voice oh how can i just keep i just keep hearing god dang illegals (laughs) so that comes out in september Uh, in october we get hex wives written by ben blacker uh co-creator of thrilling adventure hour and uh he's written a couple of star wars things along with his usual co-writer ben acker and those are their actual last names acker and blacker that's not a a gimmick. Those are their God-given names. Um, and illustrated by Mirka Andolfo. Uh, that's a pretty strong creative team as well. And um, this is... Uh, I'll just read it from the solicit here. Uh, a malevolent conspiracy of men brainwashes a coven of witches to be a subserv- to be subservient uh, suburban housewives. And then it's only a matter of time before the women remember their power. That's a pretty fun idea, too. Mm-hmm. And again... Something that touches a little bit on current events without being like, uh, you know, I have to say, none of these books appear like they're trying to capitalize on anything. It just seems like the writers, I mean, the creators are really in tune with what's going on right now, um, which is good. It feels natural, I guess what I'm saying. All these books feel like natural pairings. They don't feel like anything's being, trying to necessarily capitalize on right now. It's just a nice coincidence that they are. And I also want to say, I love the trade dress for these books. Mm. There's just like a thin stripe down the left-hand side that has the, the vertical logo. Um, looks really nice. Yep, yeah. very nice. Yeah, you know, the one thing about about worrying that any of these books are like trying to capitalize on a movement or whatever, we, I, I used to worry about that a lot more, but we live in such a cartoonish world that like you can't even write some of this stuff that happens. That's true. So, you know, that is true. I'm not too worried about that anymore. Uh, next up is American Carnage, written by Brian Hill and illustrated by Leandro Fernandez. Um, and this is about a uh, disgraced FBI agent um, going undergra- undercover in a white supremacist group. But he is uh, he's biracial but can pass as white. And that's, that's a really intriguing concept. Very intriguing. Um, I may be mistaken, but is this... Um... I'm blanking on the name, but who did the art for the New 52 Batwing series? Ben Oliver. Is this a Ben Oliver cover? Yes, it is. It is. Okay. That's why it's dope. (laughs) Uh, That comes out in November also. And Dean White colors that. Dean White's one of the best colorists working. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Yeah. Um, We get Goddess Goddess Mode, written by Zoe Quinn, illustrated by Robbie Rodriguez. Um... I'm not familiar with Zoe Quinn. Are you guys? Yeah, Zoe Quinn's the um, the whole Gamergate thing. You, you, like, you know, you know Gamergate. I'm yes. familiar with Gamergate, but I she, don't. What she's she's like, she's like the the central figure of that, as far as who those uh, incel losers are all. Um, okay. Attacking constantly. Oh, okay. okay. Um. Yeah, I'm not gonna get into the whole thing, but like she was at the center of that. Uh, okay, I'm I'm familiar. I didn't realize that that was her. I'm, but yeah, I'm familiar with the the Ground Zero inciting incident. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, I'm really happy that DC. <clears throat> I don't even want to say, like, taking a chance on her, but, like, obviously there's going to be people on social media that are, like, up in arms about this. 
And there's probably even going to be people who like want to boycott Vertigo or all of DC because you know you know the people I'm talking about like mm-hmm. the Gamergate yeah. types you know and yeah. I, I think it's cool that they would go into this clearly knowing that that's a possibility and I hope it turns out well for for her and for um everybody involved yeah and and I want to say all of these books have really really interesting twist on the social commentaries that they're presenting and this one especially sounds really interesting to me why don't you give us the sort of quick pitch on this one on this one so yeah so it um just going from the solicit text takes place in a um, near future where all of humanity's needs are administered by a godlike ai um and one woman does tech support on the AI, um, and she finds uh, she discovers a group of superpowered women and ho- his horrific monsters locked in a secret war for the cheat codes to reality. So it's kind of like it sounds like a mix of of Matrix and and um, Ready Player One, but good and interesting. <laughs> Hey, Matrix is good. Matrix is really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was that was directed more towards Ready Player One. Yeah, right, um, right. Kansas is going bye bye. <laughs> Joey Pants. <laughs> I I really like Robbie Rodriguez though. That's a big get. For I agree. DC. I agree. But I guess he he did previously do that FP FBP book. Yes. Which... Yes. I think was part of Vertigo as well. It was. It was. Yeah. That was sort of the last like gasp of relevant Vertigo for a while. Right. Um, all right, then we get High Level, written by Rob Sheridan and illustrated by Barnaby Begenda. Uh, Sheridan is the former art director for Nine Inch Nails, which is sort of an interesting place to draw a, uh, a creator from. Uh, the solicit text says, Hundreds of years after the world ended... And human society was rebuilt from scratch. A self-interested smuggler with a price on her head is forced to traverse a new continent of danger and mystery to deliver a child messiah to high level, a mythical city at the top of the world from which no one has ever returned. That child messiah? You guessed it. Frank Stallone? Frank Stallone. (laughs) I know you so well. Trent Reznor. Yeah. Um, In terms of... uh, pitch this might be my least favorite one but i still think it's a it's a relatively fun concept mm-hmm. and baginda yes and yeah, baginda baginda does a lot baginda's doing a lot of the work here for me absolutely absolutely um next up is safe sex written by tina horn and illustrated by mike dowling um i know mike dowling's work from 2080 stuff and uh Horn is the host of the Why Are People Into That podcast and a lecturer in sex education and activism. Um, again, a, a really interesting creative team. Two folks yeah. I would never have put together. And saucy material for uh, you know a, co- a comic that's going to have the letters DC on the cover. You know. Yeah, can you read us the uh, solicit there, Vince? Sure. A dystopian sci-fi thriller about a ragtag team of sex workers fighting for freedom to love in a world where sexual pleasure is monitored, regulated, and policed by the government. Sounds like the year 2018. Why? Oh, no, that's all I'm 
why in this dystopian sci-fi? Okay. Uh, one thing about this is I was wondering when I was going to see new Tululote art. And I don't know if I've just missed it with other publishers or something, but uh, it's back and it's good again. <laughs> she is actually, speaking of 2000 AD, she is doing um, one of the pieces. 2000 AD was doing their first ever uh, all-female issue this summer. Uh, every every creator on the book is is a fee, is a woman, and uh, I believe Tulate is doing both the cover and one of the stories for it. Oh, that's awesome! I'll have to check that out. Yeah, one and of my la- faves. And last but certainly certainly not least, Vince's fave of this bunch is Second <laughs> Coming, written by Mark Russell and Elizabeth Richard Pace. Um, I'm just going to read this straight here. God sends Jesus to Earth and hopes that he will. Learn the family trade from Sun Man, an all-powerful superhero who is likely the uh, the varsity who is like the varsity quarterback son God never had. But upon his return to Earth, Christ is appalled to discover what has become of, of his gospel and vows to set the record right. This is the best one. Yeah, absolutely, of course. Uh, this book is like the Jesus Superman crossover that I have always secretly wanted. <laughs> um, this is the best. Well, if you believe that in the in the Grant Morrison metafiction that every book he's ever written is secretly part of the same story, then Grant Morrison's already done this. So, <laughs> it, with the Savage Sword of Jesus Christ taking place in the same world as All Star, right? You know, I've never read that. I really need to. <laughs> I ordered a copy and I'm still waiting on it from DCBS. Like I ordered it uh, like a year ago. It feels, and I still haven't gotten it. Send me that. Dang. Send me that DCBS and Mac Weldon. Send me some underwear. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, it apparently doesn't come out until September. The Savage Sword. Uh huh. Oh, okay, that explains it. Wow, that, it, it must have either gotten delayed or just yeah. had a particularly early solicitation. Yeah, that's really interesting then too, because Klaus would go into there as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. Man, that seems like a that's a podcast that needs to be done. <laughs> the Grant Morrison, uh, like uh, Omniverse, yeah, like, like the, the Pixar theory of Grant Morrison. Yes, yeah, yeah. There you go. Mm. Grant Morrison is Mister Wacky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder how Grant Morrison would say that abracadabra thing. <laughs> he would. Uh, Definitely say it in some kind of like Lovecraftian tongue that none of us know and <laughs> invoke some. <laughs> His Mr. Wacky that he summons would probably like melt us just by <laughs> being in the presence of it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, these all sound really good. Yeah, and you know, take that with the four Sandman universe titles which yep. also are are relatively exciting and you've got a uh, a pretty strong vertigo relaunch zach and i were talking before you were on the call vincy about how this feels tonally more like the sort of second string that uh, second string that that implies that one is worse than the other sort of the later vertigo era like the sweet tooth yeah maybe why the last man like that era of Vertigo ver- instead of the sort of initial burst of Vertigo titles that came out in the early 90s. 
Does that right. does that ring true for you as well? Yeah, I think so. And I think the re- I think the reason why that is is that I don't think you can ever really regenerate what was happening with Vertigo back in the 80s and 90s, you know, early 90s. That that's the right time frame, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just don't think you can do it again. And like have you guys checked out any of the the Black Crown stuff over at IDW? Yes. Yeah, so, like, out of all the comics that are being put out right now, I would say that those come the closest, and even then, I'm reading some of that stuff, and I think, like, yeah, this is along the same lines, but it's still, there's still something missing. I don't think you can ever get that back, you know? Yeah. Although I will say that I, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I feel like Young Animal is the closest thing that we've gotten to that, and maybe even though Young Animal is going away for a little bit, DC wants to keep that area open in case mm-hmm. they do bring that back a little bit. Um, Actually, because, that, yeah, keep going, Zach. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say because that early Vertigo was so tied to DC Universe concepts. Um, which is what Young Animal does as well. Yeah, so then my question about this was going to be kind of piggybacking off of that. Um, Do we think that DC Vertigo is going to include anything that we um, vaguely recognize as an actual DC Comics property at any point? You know, I like Sandman a little bit, but I'm talking more like, mm-hmm. is there going to be room for like a Vertigo Batman book or whatever? I I almost kind of think all of that stuff will fall under Black Label. Sure. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I feel like DC, I think for a long time, Vertigo was the end all the rest imprint. It was anything that wasn't like mainline DC. But now, between Young Animal, Vertigo, the uh, Wildstorm, Black Label, Jinx World, like there's a there's a fair amount of places that people can publish things under the DC umbrella without it being DC proper. So I don't know, I don't think Vertigo is going to be that space anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really funny how like this era of DC is very similar to like late '90s, mid 2000s Marvel, where they had. You know, mainline Marvel, Ultimates, Icon, Marvel Knights, um, all their weird little imprints. But all of those, with with a few exceptions, were all superhero comics still. True, yeah. Which, like, most of these are still going to be superhero comics as well, just different variations on them, I think. You know, like, Main DC, Wildstorm, Young Animal... um, black label that's fair okay yeah yeah so then so then what do we think about remember back when they were teasing all this stuff like a year ago and they slipped in some they slipped in like a new drawing of uh swamp thing and there there was some sort of tease i don't remember where it came from of like new invisible stuff yeah there was that like jeff lemire drawing yeah uh, I, I feel like that could still show up here. Yeah. Um, and and I think you know whenever American Vampire comes back, which it, I'm sure it will, will be here. 
Um, I I could see a second wave of more classic type Vertigo books. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just it's a good it's a good thing for DC to have so many different. I guess, you know, ways to present their material. And I think something like The Invisibles, obviously Vertigo makes the most sense. But would that really be out of place in Young Animal? No, and that would be super interesting to see that, you know, crossover with other Young Animal type things where they choose to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, imagine a Milk Wars type thing. Well, I with... can kind of see, uh, and I don't mean to, to get... Uh everybody hot and bothered here, but you know, <laughs> this first um, Young Animal lineup all kind of spins out of Doom Patrol, right? What if the Invisibles was the next sort of cornerstone huh. for a Young Animal line? Oh my. Or another pop-up imprint. Who's to say they don't give Grant Morrison his own imprint? Brian. Don't do that to us. Why Come would on. you? You said don't get I, I, hot and bothered. I said, I'm, but... I said I'm sorry to get you hot and bothered. Also, by saying that, it's there's now zero chance of that happening. <laughs> when before there was like maybe the tiniest sliver, now now it's you've obliterated that. See, I actually think that that's more likely than ever. I think so too. I am a mover and shaker in the comics <laughs> industry, and uh, you are the comics gatekeeper. I am. Hey, hey! Only one guy on this podcast sent an angry email to a publisher this week and had them basically say, sorry, sorry, I'm trying to delete it. So, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh. Tell you guys um, about that one later. Well, oh, can, no. you, can you get my Multiversity 2 TOO OGNs to come out? When is that going to happen? I'll see what I can do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I like this game where I pretend I have some sort of power. It's fun. You coastal elite, you. Yeah, exactly. Me uh, sitting here eating my caviar, and uh, only in New York, baby. Something, something. Rivers Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's best friend. Yep, yep. I have the world's worst best friend. Uh, <laughs> Oh, but he has the magic in him, though. He does. <laughs> Way to reference the absolute worst song he's ever written. Oh, no. there He didn't reference heart songs. <laughs> he didn't reference heart songs. Okay, there you go. Oh. Or, um, thank God for girls, or... I, I actually have, like, a nostalgic appreciation for heart songs. Oh, it's a, it's nostalgic? A song. God, you're making me feel old now. <laughs> when did the Red Album come out? It was like oh eight, oh nine. I was a like married that. man, Zachary. It was like ten years ago. Yeah. Brian's nostalgic for like when they were actually good, though. Exactly. Yeah, it's very different. I know. It's really funny. I like didn't start listening to them until like make believe era. So, and that's right when I checked out. Actually. Oh. All right. Well, let's let's brighten the mood by talking about the issue of the week. The issue of the month, hell, might be the issue of the year in my book, Justice League number one by Scott Snyder and Jim Chung. It's all been leading to this. Boys, 
shoot this into my veins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Justice League number one. How do I love you? Let me, Let count, me the count the ways. Let's put it to you this way. The Joker's in this book, and I don't want to set my eyeballs on fire. So it does that. It does that. It's got that going for it, which is nice. Um, This is a banger, you guys. Everything about this banger. works. Um, you could, We could really, if we wanted to, we could probably spend an hour and a half just going like panel by panel, talking about all the ass this book kicks <laughs> let's just let's just start and see how far we go <laughs> um well first of all I, I just want to give like my overall impressions yeah which are that like the thing that i love about it most is that it has like a it has a morrisonian scope or viewpoint i think without you you can't you try to try to mimic what morrison does and you fail you know and i don't think that snyder is necessarily that type of writer i don't think anybody is i don't think anybody can really do morrison you know but it's got that same scope and it's got that that viewpoint in that anything and everything is on the table you know I, I didn't expect to see a 85,000 years from now future Justice League on the very first page, you know? I didn't expect to see Commandy on the very first page, you know? And you weren't listening at WonderCon. I, no, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, um, mixed with that is this animated series sensibility and i'm talking about both like the the like um 2000s justice league justice league unlimited stuff and honestly going back to super friends you know there's like a gangs all here Mm. kind of vibe and the the um legion of doom stuff is purely super friends right down to did you notice that sinestro's costume vaguely resembles the like old jester outfit yeah he's he's not rocking the i think this is maybe like the first time that he hasn't i think i think since um pre-rebirth that he hasn't had his sinestro core costume on yeah i mean he's not, not green lantern rebirth i meant or, or i guess i should say sinestro core war right yeah it's yeah. it's like an it's like a it's like a modernized version of the the weird jester outfit that he was known for early on, and the, the, that I once went for Halloween as. There you go, <laughs> and the and the Joker's wearing a purple suit, just very you know it's very classic, um, and yet forward looking, and it's weird too. Like all the stuff with Martian Manhunter is weird. It's not like simplistic and immediately accessible, you know. Not unlike the really great DCU Martian Manhunter series. Yeah, 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 yeah honestly. Uh, so I love everything about this. I, You, you oh. guys want to wax poetic I, for a little while? Zach, go ahead. Uh, there's so many things. Um, 
you know, you mentioned the DC 1 million characters, Commandy, uh, a monitor, the, or I guess the monitor, um, <clears throat> all the, like, little side characters I didn't expect to see, like Plastic Man, Animal Man, Adam Strange, Animal Man, um, there's a kind of a callback to one of my favorite Grant Morrison moments involving the moon, only it's I mean, it's completely different. It's, you could barely even call it a callback, but I feel like it's... I don't know how you can read a Justice League story involving the moon and a character doing something awesome and not think about that. Um, <laughs> only this time it involves Martian Manhunter, who is like very clearly the who we're kind of supposed to be um, centering on. This is almost... It's it's kind of positioned Martian Manhunter versus Lex Luthor, which is awesome. Yes, it is. Yeah, that was a that was a really cool rival rivalry pairing that I was not expecting. Yeah, and oh my goodness, the art. Yeah. Yeah. This is. This is how I like my Jim Chung. Yeah, and they just announced he'll be back in September. Yeah. I do think I do think that's funny. Like, I think he just that, did this issue, right? Right, and then and then he'll yes. be back in September, <laughs> right? But I mean, yeah, that's kind of typical for him. I think I don't know the last time he's done a regular series. Yeah, he he did that um, Young Avengers book that took three years to come out. I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. But no, it's, uh, yeah. Um, I, I want to highlight a couple of things. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, again, just to highlight the Martian Manhunter greatness, how that's a character that's been missing for all of Rebirth, and they brought him back not just in a um, in a role of prominence, but in the centerpiece of this gigantic book. This really feels like this book is going to be so much about him, and I love that, I think that's really unusual and really fun and <clears throat> one of the things we've talked about in the past is is how we don't necessarily how, how at least for me I don't necessarily love when the Justice League is just the big seven I like it when other characters come in and, and even more than that I like it when Batman and Superman aren't necessarily the focal point of Justice League but they're on the team but they're not you know what the stories are all about so this reminds me of my favorite Justice League runs which is where there are other characters that are just as important, uh, if not more important. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about the, the Legion of Doom for a minute, because this, again, like Vince said, this is straight out of Super Friends. This is a pretty cheesy concept in terms of, you know, in, in terms of DC villains. To have these heroes together calling themselves the Legion of Doom, that's a... In the wrong hands, this could have been done really, really poorly. But there's something about the way it's pulled off, and even pulled out, pulled off with Lex in his you know crazy old school, uh, you know, costume with the armor, and Sinestro in his you know revamped costume and all that. It just it doesn't it works, and thank goodness it works because it, mm -hmm. it could have been a disaster. And and I want to take a minute to talk about some of the stuff that Snyder has talked about the the meaning of the word doom here not in the sense that we know it or use it 
most commonly now, but in the you know more classical sense of like fate. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads me to believe that this take on Luther, you know, we've talked a little bit about like, oh, is Lex bad again? I'm not sure that that's where Snyder's going with this. I I think it's going to be more likely the classic, uh, you know, Lex doesn't see himself as bad and he may even be doing what he does for a noble purpose. And yet something's going to happen and he's going to make like the tough choice that is morally questionable. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like you're right. That's more where, and that, that's really the best Luthor. I think that there is, you know, Luthor, except for the time that he stole 40 cakes. Mm. That's, that's 10, four cakes. Was, how's it, how's it phrased? <laughs> I did. <laughs> that's four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. One, yeah. one, two, abracadabra, one, two, three. How many cakes he took, did I he steal? He took 40, 40 cakes. That's as many as four tens, and that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> and that's terrible. 39 would have been, you know, but four tens is terrible. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, Jim Chung's artwork here is really something to behold. This is going to maybe sound weird. There are a couple of moments in this book where I was like, oh man, Jim Chung is the good JRJR. <laughs> <laughs> You're not which is, wrong. Which is what we said about. Uh, yeah, we, we recently uh, put that. Mooneyham, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but there were some moments in this that really felt like good JRJR. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, I really. Man, I can't get enough of this. I love the team being. Uh, cosmically, not cosmically, rather, um, psychically connected to Martian Manhunter at all times, and therefore to each other. And even them all, like, dunking on Batman with doing their Batman impressions, that's super fun stuff. That That is really great. Oh, I, I couldn't like this book enough. Um, it's, it's, I feel like it's the closest that I could have gotten to my Jonathan Hickman Justice League dream book. <laughs> Snyder's doing a really good job. Well, good. That leaves uh, room for Hickman to come in and do Legion of Superheroes then. I'm cool with that. Any other Justice League thoughts? I can't wait for the next issue. Yeah. Yeah, this is the most excited I've been about a Justice League book since... Jeez, I don't even know. I for me, I guess really like I mean, I guess I was excited for parts of the Johns run just <clears throat> at the time because that was really all I, really like in a lot of ways one of the only things that the new fifty two had going for it in terms of this kind of story, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but really, just I think since like the James Robinson run, yeah. which I was really into. Me too. Um. I know it's going to shock you guys that I was really into that James Robinson run. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the unexpected number one. This is the the latest New Age of Heroes book. It is written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Ryan Suk and Corey Nord. Um, Corey Nord? That sounds wrong. Carrie Nord. Carrie Nord. There we go. Uh-huh. Um, 
this book wasted no time establishing its its high concept. Like within the first page or two, you have a pretty good sense of what the book is. And um, Zach, I know you were really excited about this after reading some of Orlando's um, like thoughts on this. That was running either as a a web exclusive or as um, background as a back matter in a book. So mm-hmm. I, I want to start with you. What did you think of this issue? My hot take, this is far and away leagues and leaps and bounds, the best new age of heroes book. And the only one that really builds on metal in a meaningful way. And also Mandrak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it's the only one that features Macho Man Randy Savage. So Ooh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, this was really really good. Um, it makes me I love Steve Orlando's writing, and it makes me not miss JLA so much because even though this doesn't concern that story basically at all, um, I feel like I'm getting my Orlando back here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and what else? Um, I agree with Zach's comment on the, it, it's really building off of metal. Also, it's the, it's the only new age of heroes book. I think that doesn't feel derivative. Um, this feels like a vital book that Orlando really has a passion for telling this particular story and he's getting to use all these bizarre characters, you know, like how is this book being published in the year (laughs) 2018, right? Because nothing in it is recognizable to somebody, some uh, Luddite walking into a comic book shop, you know, who doesn't, go to the store very often, right? Right. Look at that cover. None of it is familiar. And I love that DC gives like a small handful of books like this a chance. And this feels like one of those that is going to get canceled after like 11 issues or something. And we're all going to talk in five years from now about how good this was and how we wish it was still around, you know? Yeah. The way that I talk about Dial H, basically, to anyone who... I was just going to say that. This is your Dial H, yeah. It's the new Dial H, baby. I think you're, like, spot on in terms of vitality, like, how important (laughs) this feels. Um, When it shouldn't. When it shouldn't at all. It really shouldn't. It feels like this could be a really great companion book to JLA. Yeah, I um I found myself really enjoying this book. I uh I think it's destined to have perhaps the shortest run of any of the New Age of Heroes titles, if only because I don't think it has the this is probably the lowest star power in terms of creative teams. Slash it doesn't have DC's co publisher plotting it. <laughs> Um, you, you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? That's not star power. <laughs> no. uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I thought it was something absolutely horrible to say. I'm going to leave it to myself. Um, 
but no, I, I just feel like this is this is the one that's least likely to to have real staying power, unfortunately, because I, I'm with you guys. This this felt the most vital. Like I, I think Terrifics might wind up if if Terrifics can hit its stride, I think that might wind up being the best of the titles because just the combination of characters and creators and all that is is sort of exactly up my alley, right? But this definitely feels like the most original idea we've had out of Metal. It seems like the only book so far that needed to wait until Metal was finished to come out. It just seems like it's it's naturally building on, on what was done in Metal. But it also feels, in an odd way, the most accessible of the books. Even though it, it, there are these bizarre characters, even though there are some you know throwbacks to, to past DC books... Uh, which Vince mentioned before, which Zach mentioned before, um, I still feel like this might be the most accessible New Age of Heroes title. Yeah, I think so too. It's a it's a, a legitimate fresh start. Yeah. A new start. <laughs> Ain't a start. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, and I like these characters too. Um, Firebrand immediately has a hook. That you can Firebrand dig into. Is very cool, yeah. Um, I actually probably wouldn't mind if the two characters that are seemingly dead at the end of this issue are are you know just red shirts that don't come back because they they were definitely the most derivative of the two characters of of the characters on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. They might come back. Yeah. Um, Mantrak though. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, Final Crisis is like my favorite superhero <laughs> comic ever, so... Really? I think so. I'm kidding, of course it is. He knows that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I missed your subtlety. <laughs> you just had too much wine, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Sweet berry wine. Tastes like fruit. <laughs> Strawberry wine. <laughs> 17. <laughs> Raspberry beret. Happy birthday, Prince. Is today Prince's birthday? Isn't it? I it was. I, I think, yeah, yesterday or today? Today. Yeah. He would have been 60, right? Or 70. Yep. 60. Yeah, 60. 60. 60. Today, yeah. man, pour one out. Didn't look a day you over did. 40. <laughs> you, you poured a few out. <laughs> Well, into my body. Yeah. <laughs> That's how Prince would have wanted it. Actually, he would have hated that. He didn't drink. He was a Jehovah's Witness, but it's a whole other story. Anyway. <laughs> um, I, I did want to say sort of how, uh, while this did feel new in a lot of ways, the, the, the Sook and Nord artwork really does a good job of instantly giving these characters personality and... Uh, a, a really solid sort of visual representation where by the end of the issue, you know exactly who is who. And it didn't seem like it was, you know, sometimes these, these, these books take a few issues to figure out who's who and what their, what their thing is all about. But it seemed like Orlando and, and Sook and Nord really did a good job of establishing who these characters are right away without it seeming like exposition city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and plus, like again, even if it's just for part of the issue, it, how nice is it to get some Sook interiors? 
and and really like Nord did a great job on his pages as well. Oh yeah, and their styles are somewhat simpatico, so mm-hmm. it didn't feel too jarring when the art changed. Right. It's a really nicely colored book too. It's very colorful. Lots mm-hmm. of oranges and blues and. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I love the bit when um, the the main guy. What is his name? I'm, it's like something the unknown, right? Uh, I I can't remember, um. But but essentially, the when he gets split in half and he has all of the like rainbow goo coming out of him, it's like yes. very shade the changing man. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few pages here that have like they seem to have like signature colors to the page. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the one where <clears throat> he's yelling, "I want your heart," and all this electricity is coming out of him. That's a very yellow page, and if you go t- more towards the end, or more towards the middle, there's that page with the um, the frog, uh-huh. and that's a very green page. It's got you know, the frog is like the dominant visual item on that page, but you know, that goes down the right side of the page, and then the rest of the page is like a. It's basically just like shades of brown and green green is like the dominant color you know mm-hmm. and then a couple pages later there's like a big red there's like a red wisp of smoke that goes from the top middle of the page through the down through the bottom and that's like the dominant you know there's there's like a dominant color on a lot of these pages and everything else is pushed to the background a little in a really interesting way um, re- yeah really good looking book reads really well and is just completely different for anybody who's like tired of the typical DC thing this is anything but that yeah super super fun um well let's let's take a break and when we come back we're gonna talk about the rest of this week's books and uh stay tuned Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back. <laughs> uh, we're back with Batman number 48, written by Tom King, illustrated by Michael Janine, enjoyed by none of us, I'd guess. <laughs> okay, I don't, that, I don't... That was a comic that happened. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't um, either. You know what I mean? So I don't I don't think like I need to spend too much time on it. No, I, uh, I have I have sort of one overall comment, but you can go first. Well, I just I just want to say that like I don't understand like if this is the thing that he gets on Twitter and writes like I'm writing the Joker and he's scaring me, you know? Well, you just had him nonchalantly shoot everybody. Like that's 
the easiest thing you can do with the Joker. You know, nothing here is really. I'm I'm reading the words and I'm just thinking like, I feel like I'm on another planet. You know, I this isn't. I get I get what he's going for with this Joker that he's got a gun to somebody's head and yet he's speaking very. Uh, as if it's really normal. It's really a normal thing for him to be doing. And like he talks about killing his mom and, oh, no, actually I forgot the way that I killed her or, or, you know, he mixes up two murders that he, and I know that it's the doing the unreliable narrator thing too, but like it's just so you can see the man behind the curtains like pulling the strings, right? Yeah. He's doing like an Alan Moore thing here. I feel like again, he's trying to do like his own killing joke. Right. Yep. Um and another this is just like a small thing, but Tom King has a penchant for doing very um cr- stories that are very heavily tied to like Christian themes and ideas like this has a section of him quoting like a big section of of scripture and then you know there was the the green lanterns um uh dark side war issue that Mm -hmm. was very um like christian centric even omega man a little bit parallels and omega man was too the Mr. Miracle Jesus parallel. Yeah, yeah. So he he has like a history of doing this, um, which is which is fine. Um, I don't think it works here at it's all. It's bad here. It's this is really bad. bad here. This is bad. Um, and I don't get this. Fa- and this isn't the first time that that one of his scripts has done this either. But I don't get this fascination that he has with his characters like explaining what they're going to do or what they just did there's one part in here where uh, where the Joker says uh, you know don't move one inch one teeny tiny inch or I'll, or maybe I won't oh I suppose I just did and then like he goes on to say, like, I had the hostage. I wasn't going to kill him, but then I did. I messed that up that time or whatever. <laughs> Is that supp- like, that's where you can see the wheels turning, where the reader's supposed to think, like, whoa, it's really messed up that the Joker is You don't know what he's going to do. He's totally unpredictable. Well, he's so he's, quirky. And he's saying this out loud. How twi- like Out loud he is saying the twisted thing he just did. And isn't it so weird that he can just plainly talk about it, you know? And you just see those wheels turning, and it's, I'm, I'm going, I'm already going on too much about how I just this isn't for me, and I, I kind of want to stop doing it. I want to stop doing it because I'm, I want to, I want to be more positive, and to do that, I have to move away from talking about this book. But, and and I also don't want to be like there are people that like this, and. I, I don't want to be like super negative guy all the time and beat down on this book because I do it every time. Um, so I guess I guess I'll just leave it at that. My criticisms are pretty clear, and I think yeah. I think I've been fair about it. So um, this also continues the trend. It's a Michael Janine issue, and those tend to be the ones that we don't care for for some reason. 
Yeah, which I, is I don't care for any of this. <laughs> That's, you know. Well, we've liked we liked the Joel Jones issues, and we've liked um, I other say issues. I like those more. Right. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm talking in in relatives. Okay. I legitimately liked some of those. Yeah. yeah. And and some you know that I really really enjoyed that annual issue that the Lee Weeks. Um, oh yeah. Yes. Butch there, guys, I think. Yeah. It was, and, yeah. There is another one coming too. Yeah. So yeah. it's just weird how all of the Michael Janine issues, which you know Janine is an artist that we really love, but anytime this this pair gets together, it's. Yeah, so not great. Th- there are a couple of things I just want to highlight. That you guys haven't talked about yet. Some some small things and some sort of bigger things. I absolutely hate the Joker going na 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 Batman. Like that's just so unbelievably dumb. Mm-hmm. It, it it drives me up a wall. Um, I I really don't like this Joker that Batman seemingly understands perfectly. But also keeps playing into his hand. Like there's a part where, where he tells him to kneel next to him, and Batman just does that, and yeah. it, it just seems like it's a. Uh, I, I don't know what he's trying to do with this. With, I don't know what this relationship is trying to tell us about the characters. Like the best, the best issues that involve arch nemesis battles try and teach you something new about the relationship or about one of them. And none of this does that. This is just this is just over the top violent, over the top, trying to be cute, and it tells you nothing new about either character. That's a really key point that you bring up about Batman kneeling, because like usually when a writer does that, it's because you get some sense of what the hero is feeling or thinking at that moment. And whether whether that's a good choice or not on their part. And I don't have any sense of what Bruce is thinking because for the most part, this Bruce has felt kind of like a psychopath himself. He and may- is. Maybe- yeah. And maybe that's <laughs> the, and maybe that's the point, but then it still doesn't make sense why he's doing what he's doing. And the other thing that I want to talk about, even though I said I wasn't going to talk anymore about this, but you reminded me of it is that Batman doesn't have to save everybody in in dc comics like people are gonna die and it's just gonna be a consequence and then like the heroes are gonna react to it but now throughout king's run how many people has the joker just like run roughshod over and killed (laughs) and batman hasn't stopped any of it you know what i mean yeah like even in the war of jokes and riddles like how much did he let go on you know remember we had those criticisms back then you know yeah. Well, now and now the Joker shot up a whole church and like another church apparently. Yeah. And Bruce is just like standing there, just with nothing, you know. Well, I I feel like this. I feel like the Bruce Wayne character slash the Batman character here is the most soulless we've ever had. Even in the most dark night of dark night stories, there's been some sort of empathy or soul to him. Uh-huh. And I don't see any of that here. Yeah. He's just he's just a blank page. I mean, you say you, you, you don't know what Bruce is thinking, because I don't think he's thinking anything. I think he's thinking yeah. cat, 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 yeah. cat, well, cat. Well, and honestly, 
I've said this before, but if there's anything I like from the Tom King run in general, it's the stuff with Bruce and Selena. I like I, I like that pairing. That's the only time that I get any sense of character from from Bruce, you know? Yeah. Apart from that, he's just Batman who's like still hung up on his parents' death and nothing more than that. And I don't feel like this guy that we see in the room with the Joker is the same one that's marrying Selena. Because when Tom King writes him with Selena, there is like a modicum of life behind the eyes, you know? Yeah. There's a little there's a little bit of humor. There's a little bit of like emotion, feeling. I don't see any of that on any level when it's Batman in the cowl failing to stop the dang Joker from doing his twisted capers. So I I feel like that's very fair criticism of what we're reading. Agreed. Alright, let's move on to the Batman Prelude to the Wedding, Part 2, Nightwing vs. Hush, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by... Uh, who did this issue? Um, oh, this was uh, uh, Trevor Moore. Trevor Moore, yeah. Really nice looking. Talk about the exact opposite of the issue we just read. <laughs> Would it be unfit to say better than Batman? <laughs> no, no, it would not. Seely uh, knew all along. Yeah, these these Seely issues have been so much fun so far, and really are kind of a campy take on Batman getting married. You know, um, another great bachelor party issue. <laughs> who who would have thought that in this this whole rigmarole that this what is it is it going to be five or six issues either way this five issue tie-in series to this event that none of us really care about are the best thing to to come out of all of this yeah yeah lightning doors guys yeah <laughs> lightning doors so, okay i don't care what anybody says Superman walking into uh, Bat Burger in his dang red undies <laughs> has never been more Superman. Yep. <laughs> like, okay. inject uh, those undies into my vein. Oh, my favorite part, though, I think of the whole issue. Oh, let me. F- I don't. I want to. I want to get the words right, but I don't know if I can find it. But I can't find it. But it's basically. Oh yeah, Lois suggested. <clears throat> dancers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah no the best line in the issue is is uh clark and dick saying a bachelor party <laughs> you have to read them saying that i'm i'm reading that in uh, christopher reeves uh voice yeah they missed a key opportunity though for it to be a, a bachelor party oh the Bachelor Brothers, babe. <laughs> That's a deep cut. Uh, also, is is this Tim Seeley in the issue, wearing wearing the Who Shivs a Git uh, shirt? His his it's not the dude. What's his name? Because what? He's, he's dressed like the dude from the Big Lebowski, but his name in the issue is like the guy. Uh, it's oh, I'm the, the guy, guy who, who likes, likes it here. here. Yeah, but he looks kind of like Tim Seeley, though. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, a white guy with a with facial, facial hair. hair around the mouth. Yeah, but 
You know, there's a million of us. Tim Silly does have eyes, though. He does. Yeah, yeah you're right. Damn. There yeah, goes but my this, is, this is after he, like, falls out of reality and just hangs out That's in the true. bleed for a while. That's true. Yep. Yeah, what a great character. How that, much that, happens in this issue? Oh, a, a ton. A ton. And, and, and you know what? The, the hush, I'm, I'm comfortable saying, as much as I like this issue, the whole hush thing is kind of stupid. But, but it's it like, works. But it's like comic book stupid. Yeah, and like the perfect, yeah. Like, he's going to turn himself into Dick now because Dick is Batman's best friend, or Bruce Wayne's best friend. It's, mm-hmm. it's. It's so silly and stupid, and yet oh. it's perfect. And then, it, and then it allows for that moment at the end where, between Bruce and Dick, where Dick's like, "Yeah, I've, we've been apart for a little while." Um, that was such a great moment too, because it it was such a weird real moment where it's like, "Oh, yeah, we're close, but Clark's your best man, right?" And yeah. And for a yeah. second, this is really stupid on my part. But for a second, that little that picture in the picture frame in the bottom panel of that page, mm-hmm. it's kind of at like a canted angle. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought that was like a, a real photograph of like real people, <laughs> of real Bruce Wayne, <laughs> and real Dick Grayson. <laughs> yes, like Ethan Hawke on the left there, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know somebody else on the right. Um, it just looks like that because the art's so good. Yeah, I mean, it's is it fair to say this is tonally one hundred percent different than the actual Batman wedding stuff? This Bruce Wayne is this is some different Bruce Wayne going yeah. on this bachelor party with that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Also, the, this makes a great case for Seeley to do something with Superman. I know Bendis has mm-hmm. that on lock right now, but. Seeley could do a really great Superboy book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stupid, sexy Superboy. Yes. All right. Well, did anybody read Cyborg but me? No. You didn't miss anything. Even. Even. Deathstroke, number 32, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Carlo Pagulayan. With layouts by Larry Hama. Uh, Zach, you said you had something to say about this issue, so why don't you start it off? The Justice Experience. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. That was unexpected. Uh, it, it was. Um, no, I, I like this issue a lot. Uh, I think I've been a little down on this arc. This was the one that turned it around for me. Preach just knows these characters so well. Yeah. I like the idea of Slade bankrupting Bruce temporarily. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like and, Alfred, do, and doing it again. Cards, like... uh, being declined. Yeah. Uh, Damien has a fidget spinner. <laughs> yes, and Damien has a fidget spinner. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh. All and, of these uh, are good things. Yes, very much. And and who was this... Um, Oh, the human dynamo. Dynamo. Human dynamo. dynamo. Yes, that's right. Not the crimson dynamo, as sung about by one Paul McCartney. Yep, see, I didn't want to say that, but... Um, I was talking last night to Magneto and Titanium Man. Yeah. And the crimson dynamo. (laughs) This is going back to Damien with the fidget spinner, but can't you just see him, like, 
playing Fortnite and honing his his like survival and his and assassination skills. Oh yeah. I feel like Damien's so hard into Fortnite right now. Yep, he's playing Fortnite. Forget Cheese Viking, he's playing Fortnite now. Mm-hmm. Listening See, to Takeshi Six Six Nine while he <laughs> See, I, I work with with teenagers, you know, in my day job, and so I feel like fidget spinners are are six months too late for this. But the big thing right now among a lot of kids is Rubik's cubes that they're they're, oh. they're back again and doing them super fast. And I feel like that's a total Damien thing too, where he would just mm. he would do it as fast as humanly possible and then shame everybody else for not being able to do it as fast as he does it. Well, did you see that like Chinese kid or whatever that juggled three Rubik's cubes and solved them while he juggled them? Yes. That's not even. I don't think that's possible. That's like, that's the devil, right? I would think so. Yes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Benjamin is Franklin is the devil. <laughs> <But> yes. <laughs> this is a very good comic, Mister Coach Clyde. Uh, all right, it's time to exit stage left. The final issue of the Snagglepuss Chronicles. Oh man, I I know you guys are were not into as into this as I was. I like this a lot, but you're really into it, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I you you like it, but like this is gonna be very high on my multiversity year end stuff to kind of spoil that for you. I don't know if it'll be number one, but but it's gonna be high on that mini series ranking. Um. Could it, feel, could it, could it feels, be number man. one even? It could be number one even. Um, it, uh, even the part that was like completely predictable that this guy he's been visiting is his dad, you know? <laughs> Mr. Lion? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> even that hit me, even though it was like, well, of course, yeah. That's mm-hmm. how, that's how these stories go, you know? That, that even. <laughs> You you guys are derailing some very heartfelt stuff I'm going to say about a Mark Russell book that if he hears I want him to be flattered and it's going to be punctuated by you assholes saying even all the time cuz you never have derailed the conversation to say even <laughs> Come on that's that's my whole thing I know it is it's the, the, the fucking point <laughs> No I'm kidding we don't no keep please say even as much as you guys want Um and even like, <laughs> and regardless of the fact that the uh, that the book kind of ends on a on a strange, the whole thing with them becoming cartoonists that essentially create the cartoon version of the Hanna Barbera, um, Snagglepuss, and Quick Draw. <coughs> cartoons that that we know and love today is kind of a weird way to end it but then again like uh, there he Mark Russell managed to get some uh, poignancy out of that too mm. so even when the book shouldn't have worked it really worked for me you know um, very meta even <laughs> I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna miss making even jokes, and I think oh, we're not stopping know, that. Well, I, never have to stop. 
I think I think when we review uh, Mark Russell's second coming eventually, we're gonna have to just put in a bunch of evens just to for good measure. So, what did you get? Did you guys, Zach? Did you you fell off of this? I, I did fall off of it. Um, <coughs> I I think I will go back and read it now that it's all done. I um, I really enjoyed this issue. I still don't like the fact that they don't wear pants. Um, <laughs> it just looks weird to me. It's, it's, oh it, yeah, it looks weird. It's not because they're deviants and you're an uptight. Uh... No, no. I would uh, want to shut my mouth. But I the yeah, <laughs> looks weird with no pants. Um, I uh, again, th- this is strangely moving. But it's also a, a super, a super fun book, and I hope that if we ever get more Snagglepuss, that Mark Russell is the one to write him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You don't. I mean, you don't need to see somebody touch Snagglepuss again for any other reason than the same sort of kind of uh, satire that Mark Russell does. You know. Exactly. Nobody wants like a conventional snail puss book. Don't say nobody because this is the internet. <laughs> okay, nobody wants a snail puss book that isn't either uh, melodramatic and metatextual like this satire or porno. How about that? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's talk about Green Arrow number forty-one. Um. I I sort of forgotten that there's a bunch of issues between the end of the Ben Percy run and uh, and the start of the Bensons. I know we had the the one last time that was quite good, but I forgot that we're in sort of a series of these. So this is written by uh, Marguerite Scott and illustrated by Matthew Clark, and I sort of enjoyed this issue. I yeah, thought it was, it was I thought Parasite was used well. And it was uh, it was something a little bit different, and it's sort of keeping with this Green Lantern, stat- sorry, Green Arrow status quo, where he's sort of helping the Justice League but isn't part of the Justice League. I dig that also. And yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, I th- I thought it was a little slight, but it 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 was fine for a fill in arc. Yeah, I thought. I thought other than the unconventional use of Parasite as the villain here, I thought pretty much everything about it was extremely competent and yet um, like the bog standard Green Arrow story that you would ever read, you know? Mm-hmm. Were it not for the unconventional villain, like this, this could be any other Green Arrow story um, and that's not... I don't think that's a much of a criticism. I don't think it's a compliment. I just think that I just think this issue was it. It was a it was a perfectly competent fill in, which is more than you can hope for from fill ins sometimes. Um, even the best characters that DC has have uh, fill ins that go on for seemingly eight or nine months that are just terrible um, with bad dialogue, and I, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And uh, this is not that, so it's a relief. Yeah. Well, that brings us to Green Lanterns number forty-eight. Uh, the the trade dress could not be properly updated to reveal the proper creative team, 
So it still says it's written by Tim Seeley, but it's not. It was written by uh, Aaron Gillespie, illustrated by Vernon Cliquet, and uh, this is an arc about Jessica Cruz going off the off the reservation a little bit. Um, Vince, what did you think of this issue? Mm, kind of the same thing I just said about Green Arrow, honestly. Yarp. Yeah. And I, again, that's not like a terrible criticism, but I don't really have anything to compliment about it either. Um, you pretty much explained what the issue was. It, the twist at the end was another one of those that was like completely obvious based on the story that came in the 19 pages before. Simon Simon shows up to rein her in, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, that's going to be a big misunderstanding or whatever, but... And the Ronan Cliquet art has been nice enough. Yeah. But nothing outstanding. And this book just kind of is. Book is. <laughs> book is. Can, uh, hey, can I make a suggestion? Yeah. Do you have anything more to say on this, Zach? Go, go for it, Zach. Talk about No, I, I just, I just, I really just skimmed it a bit because. Is very verbose, and you know how I am about overly <laughs> verbose comics. Um, and, and also, I just haven't been following this book closely. I will say though, um, the the trade dress or the, the creators on the cover were fixed for the for the print issue, oh, okay. or at, or at least for the on Comicsology, it's correct. Oh, okay. Um. But yeah. All right, what's your idea, Vincy? I was wondering if we could save Man of Steel number two for the last book and Wait talk second. about the other. Are you saying that we shouldn't go in alphabetical order? Uh, yeah, I'm just not a big stickler for that. Okay. So, sure. Sorry if it offends. Is it as offensive as when you take a black light and <laughs> put it on? Well, I was wondering. Uh, when we, I was wondering when we were going to do the dirty computer joke. <laughs> uh, all I will say is that you will both have to answer to Mister Wacky someday, and we'll see what happens then. Oh, but to Ever- make Mister Wacky go away, you just say three, two, one, cabra, cabra, cabra. <laughs> Mister Waxispitalik. <laughs> Oh, wow. Cadabra one, two, three. How can we get the dirty computer joke on the DC three? <laughs> really, all all it takes is someone mentioning Vince's alphabet fetish, and <laughs> it, it jogs my memory about dirty computer, and I'm, I'm compelled to say it. That's how you summon the dirty computer joke. Okay, is you bring up <laughs> Vince's alphabet fetish. That's also how you combat this incessant. <laughs> alphabet joke that Brian does by immediately following it with a joke that he doesn't like. I don't, I don't care about the joke. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. You're getting red and nude and mad over there in New Jersey. I can just feel it. Now, the real thing is here, we just have to point out uh, Zach's slavish devotion to Kanye West and his inability to see his art clearly uh, every time this comes up now. <laughs> I'm sorry that <laughs> you don't enjoy Yay as much as I do. 
This is some real behind the scenes. I, I don't think Ellis Kanye is. enjoys Ye as much as you do, Zach. I don't know. You didn't see him at that live stream. He was pretty happy. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Nightwing. Nightwing 45, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Chris Mooneyham. Uh, Vince, you want to talk about this issue, so dig in, pal. I'm I'm still really loving this. Yeah, this is um, great. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, and you know, Ben Percy's doing a great job with this, with with what we talked about last week, which is basically like your. It's kind of your average like, oh, tech might be bad story, <laughs> you know, but I, I think he's doing a great job making it like punchy and 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 actually fun to follow. And there was the stuff with the like fake Babs in the beginning mm-hmm. that you knew was a fake out, but was still like real horned up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so much. Yeah. And, uh, but also like he admitted that Babs is the closest thing he has to a soulmate and, oh. and my heart just, Oh, Zach's got a little wine in hip folks. And then when that happens, the romantic comes out <laughs> He's getting all flustered over there. I wish I could remember more of the the note that Homer Simpson wrote to Mars when he's drunk. That just ends with like five dollars. Get out of here. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They got these big chewy pretzels and five dollars. Get out of here. Yes, it's maybe it's the beer talking guys. Yeah. But you've got to put the we'll one quit. Yeah. <laughs> you've got those big chewy pretzels here. Five dollars. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot who's the butt that don't quit. Uh. So, but the, the the big thing that I want to keep hammering on that I absolutely love about this series now it's with the Chris with Mooneyham's the sort of art. oh Chris Mooneyham's good JRJR art and not just the not just the 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 um. Not just the look of the characters or anything, but I, I'm still just loving the sense of paneling and motion that he creates. There's a sequence where <laughs> there's a sequence where um, towards the end, where Dick is. I want to get this right. Okay, on the top left, this is on page 16 of our PDF. On the top left panel. He's like sitting a classic dick pose sitting on the edge of a of a building like a gargoyle and then he like strips out of his costume into his civilian stuff and hops off the roof and it's like just the 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 size of whatever particular panel he's focusing on seems perfect in concert with one another to create this like perfect sense of motion that the dialogue follows throughout the the boxes throughout the panels you know it, it's like a perfect page that shows that's simple as simple as dick hopping off of a roof you know mm-hmm. but Mooneyham does that kind of thing all over this book and I love it and it's not showy it's not showy in the way that like David Aha stuff is you know I'm not saying it's better or worse than David. It's just different, but it accomplishes like a similar sense that I really love. Yeah, I can see that. I um, I still think this is the closest that 
Dick has looked to like uh, late eighties, early nineties, early Nightwing Dick, and uh, I just love that aesthetic. I yeah, mean, he's got a he's got a pompadour. Yeah, and, and I feel like no one has worn that sweater since nineteen ninety three. Um, <laughs> but that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, Zach, I know you weren't as hot on the first issue as we were. So, what'd you think of the second one? I liked this issue a lot more. Part of it was the Bab stuff. A big part of it was the Bab stuff. All of it was the Bab stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked this. Good. All right, let's get to a book that I like but don't understand anymore. Shade the Changing Woman, number four, written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Marley Sarconi. Um, I, I have a, a bit of a criticism of this book, but I, I want to preface it by saying I do really like this book. I think that there's a lot of beautiful art here, and I think it's telling a really interesting story. But is it just me, or... Now that we know that this book is ending after six issues, does this feel like a weird tag on the end of a story that maybe didn't need a tag? Yeah. I maybe disagree. Ooh. I I feel like this is the logical third act. Say more. Well, okay, so if you think about... You know, the first, you have three six issue arcs essentially. Mm-hmm. And in the first arc, and I forgive me because I have had some wine and it's been many moons since I read Shade the Changing Girl. But the, the first arc established everything, the second arc got in, so that established like her friendships and the conflicts, the second arc was focused more on shade and the whole, all of the, the um, life with honey stuff. Um, And it was like very personal, her herself. And then this is getting back to her friendships, but it's, you know, there's been, there's been a time jump. They're all doing their own things, but then it's also tying back to stuff on meta. We've got this alien invasion. Um, We have the, the evil Megan, possessing this guy who is also dating Megan's ex. It's tie- It's tying back to so many things in the first arc in a really interesting way. It has like a nice symmetry to it. I, I really, I love this issue. In fact, this, it's definitely my favorite issue of Shade the Changing Woman, and I, I feel like it's up there with my favorite issues of the whole series. Wow, okay. Again, I didn't dislike this. It just feels to me like maybe I'm just not as invested in this story as I was in the first two stories. Vince, what's that? Yeah, I think, Zach, you made a you made a very compelling case for it, for sure. Um, and I I do love I do love the book, but I felt like with this one, I, maybe it was my fault, but I kind of lost the plot a little bit. Um, and I'm sure this is one of those books that's going to read better in trade. And actually, I should probably even go back and read some of the previous stuff uh, too. But 
what strikes me about it is that as I'm reading it, I'm really feeling I'm feeling what's going on. Like there's a lot of feeling in this book. A lot of things that Shade is going through or talking about that I relate to or that I can find some empathy with. And those bits are really beautiful and there's a lot of them. And then there's other little bits that like like the stuff with um um what's his name? I can never remember the name of the the guy who got the green lantern ring. The um uh it's like Le- Lepu or Pe- like I don't know. Right. Leepuck? Leepuck. That's That's it, it. Leepuck. I was pretty close. Yeah, yep, you were. And, like, as a little storytelling wrinkle in a DC-related property, that was really cool, and I loved the the reveal and the backup of how that all turned out. Um, There's, like, bits and pieces that I really love, and yet, for some reason in this issue, I just didn't... It, It feels to me like they're trying to wrap up a bunch of stuff. And I think that that's obvious and I think that that's understandable, but like they're doing it piecemeal wise and I'm not, it's not, this is going to, this makes it sound like I don't like the book, but like it's not coming together. Those, those myriad bits. And yet maybe it's not really supposed to, because also like a big sense that I get with shade, the changing woman is that, so much time has passed. A lot of things have changed, you know? And so maybe it's, maybe it makes sense that things aren't coming together for me, but, but then, then again, maybe that's just me as a reader, not yeah. meeting the book halfway. You know what I mean? Cause like, I really do like a lot of it, but I'm, I just think I'm starting to lose the actual plot. I agree that's, with that. That's interesting. Cause I, I kind of, I do feel like it's coming together. I feel like may, I mean, it has been a while since I've read it, but I still feel like I'm tracking pretty well. I, I would, I would recommend maybe going back and reading it all. Yeah, I will at some point for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the Curse of Brimstone. Anybody read this? I did not. It's it's fine, same as last week. Moving on. Fair enough. Wonder Woman Annual, number two. Written by James Robinson. Illustrated by a, uh, a real sort of murderer's row of interesting DC art talent. We got Mark Lamming. We got Fraser Irving. Uh, we got... Um, hang on. Uh, Jay Calafiore and Steven Segovia. That Fraser Irving, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That Fraser Irving stuff was great. Was absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love what he does. I wish that there was more of him in DC nowadays. Um. But yeah, what did you guys think of the issue in general? <laughs> The the art for the most part looked really nice. All the different artists didn't they didn't necessarily come together, but individually they all looked nice. Um, I love Wonder Woman's new, I loved her new uh, Star Sapphire costume. Yep. Um, 
didn't really care for the story all that much. Uh, I like this better than what is happening in the main Wonder Woman book, for sure. 100%. This was much better. And, all I mean, I, you know, I'm a sucker for tangential Green Lantern stuff. Getting to go back to the Star Sapphires and having that Blackest Night call. Like, this is this is Zach Nip, you know? Yeah, I, I, I like this issue half a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it was. It's the best Robinson. It's the best book Robinson has done since he's been back at DC. The best single issue he's done. Um, and uh, a big part of that is because he was playing with some some good, you know, um, Jeff Johns Lantern mythology. Part of it was because he wasn't needing to write Jason. Part of it was because he had really interesting artists working with him on the book. And, uh, yeah, I found this issue to be perfectly cromulent. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it, the diversion didn't do anything for me, but that's weird. Say that's weird to say about a book for which the regular plot was not doing anything for me. Um, Mm -hmm. like I wouldn't rather be back there, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, but one thing that I found annoying, and this is going to sound like I'm just being like, a like a, a nitpicker or something. Um, but <laughs> is it weird to you guys that like <clears throat> in Wonder Woman, he writes Jason and like Jason becomes this weird secondary focal point of the book and then in this annual he reveals that there are dudes who are star sapphires now (laughs) no that's not his reveal that um did that happen somewhere else yeah zach back me up when did that happen oh the only time that i can think of is when john stewart became a star sapphire for a minute i i feel like this happened before Hang on, keep mm. talking. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. Maybe it did. I can't think of when it was. Um Alright, well I'm gonna draw the quickest, crappiest Charizard for you, uh, Zach, while Brian's doing this. Um let me just say Oh, here we go. When you Google this, no. one of the first things that pops pops up is male star sapphire fan fiction. <laughs> yes. Well that's where you read it, so <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're a big fan fiction guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, John Stewart was definitely a Star Sapphire. Yes, he in was. The, in the uh, Van Jensen run. Which we all know doesn't count. And the Predator, the like the avatar of the Star Sapphire that's is, true. is male. That's true. Yeah, which that was a whole yeah, but thing, that's, though. That's thematically <laughs> like correct, you know, for the for the Predator of the Star Sapphires to be... Like, that's a Harvey Weinstein thing. <laughs> yeah. Man, Jeff Johns was doing... He, 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 he had his finger around. on the pulse like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, he's probably... Well, never mind. I'm not going to say that. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm, oh, saying, okay. I'm saying he's probably worked with Harvey Weinstein on some capacity. Not worked with him, but like... He's been in the same room, is what I mean. Don't you think? <laughs> probably, yeah. Just by virtue of being 
Hollywood connected. Yeah. I can't find this oh, now, man. but I'm almost positive this came up recently. You're you're familiar with the Miyazaki no cut story, right? Uh, I don't believe so. Oh f- yes, for for distribution of whatever um, Miyazaki it was either, movie. It, yeah, it was either Nausicaa or Mononoke, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he sent them. He sent Harvey Weinstein a, a katana that was engraved with the words no cuts because they were going to really heavily edit it and westernize it and everything. Uh huh. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, good Miyazaki morning. rules. All right. You find that yet, Brian? No, I, I was just saying I can't find it, but I feel like that happened before. Maybe I'm just misremembering that, but I, uh, I was pretty sure that was established before. That's a um, <laughs> Well, regardless, I'm not trying to make a value judgment about anyone or anything here. I'm just saying, like, um, let's just keep the star sapphires as as the ladies. How about that? <laughs> I mean, not I to under- get, not to get all social justice warrior on you here, but I feel like why can't that be a transgendered star sapphire? Well, if it is, then fine. But I don't think I don't think that's what's going on. It it kind of feels like more like um, when. Uh, it's it. You know what it feels like more to me is not all men <laughs> than it, it. You know what I mean? Like, um, well, the... I I see what you're saying, but I think you could, and maybe I'm making a stretch here, but I've always thought that the star sapphires were a little problematic too, just in that they it felt very exploitive of women. Yeah, and. Almost by including men, it removes some of that. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm way off base, but especially just you know with like the history of the way that the costumes have looked and and this idea of women as I, I don't know the 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 weird interplay of like love and sexuality and and like you you know you mentioned the whole predator. I don't know. It's all. A little skeevy to begin with. You, I feel like you could almost make the argument that adding men into it at least homogenizes a little bit, removes some of that. But, but I think your your take is equally valid. I think it's the star sapphires are problematic. I think we can say. Yeah. Well, I and and to be clear, I'm not even opposed to men being star sapphires. I just felt like, and this could be me completely reading it wrong. Don't send me. Don't at me. Okay, I don't care. I probably haven't thought this through hard enough or whatever, but I just felt like in the way that it was written, it came off as as like a, you know, well, can't uh why isn't there International Men's Day? <laughs> you know what I mean? See, I didn't take That's, it that way at all. Yeah. I mean, here's the exact dialogue. The the one says, uh, please Diana, think of us as your sisters too for all time. And then Diana says, or brother, I notice. And then the other one says, love is love no matter who bears the heart. Yeah, like, I that, know. To I, me, that does not read as a... as a, Not yeah. all men. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see that at all. But, okay. You know. you're, prob- you're probably right. I'm just being jaded about this comic that I don't like. That's fair. 
Well, let's talk about a comic that I really like. I think you guys like too. And that's The Man of Steel number two. Written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Doc Shaner and Steve the Dude Rude. Mm. Um, much like last issue, opens with a shot of Krypton. And uh, there's, there's, uh, there's another quality Superman comic in here. Yeah. I, I, I like this more than issue one, even. 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 <laughs> Just can't stop doing it. No. Don't want to stop. Why would you? Hmm? Uh, the first appearance of Superman in this issue, not Clark, but the first appearance of Superman in this issue is so unbelievably perfect. Doc Shaner just knows how to draw Superman. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the exchange between the Guardian and the... Um, oh, I don't know if they said what... what space race this uh, crystal person is. Uh-huh. I think they might Lord, have. Lord Gandalo is their name. Oh. Um, but anyway, I, I like that exchange. That that exchange did a little bit more to sell me on Rogalzar. Although I don't think, I still don't think Rogalzar's like an incredible villain or anything. But it definitely helped a little bit. Agreed. Um, I love the Daily Planet stuff between the new journalist and like the gossip columnist. Um, all the all the Daily Planet stuff has been really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also does appear, as I hypothesized last week, that Jay Fabok is doing all of the the scenes where whatever that thing that's going to take Lois and John appears. And mm-hmm. I like that. I like that there's going to be one artist taking that. Um, that's good stuff. Love Doc Shader drawing Hal Jordan again. Yeah. 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 Oh, looked great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to bring that up. Doc Shader can draw Hal forever. <laughs> Doc Shader can just draw my DC universe. Oh, man. What if Doc Shader paired up with Grant Morrison on Green Lantern that'd be the best we're not worthy yeah truly um ambush bug yep ambush bug (laughs) baby yep this really Um, feels like Bendis having fun in the DCU oh yeah um something else I wanted to talk about I really liked... I mean, obviously, I, I think I'm a bigger Doc Shander fan than I am Steve Rude fan. But Steve Rude's... There's there's the one page where the bottom half of the page, it starts off with a real close shot on the Superman emblem on his chest, the Hope emblem, mm-hmm. and then it, it zooms out. And that page is just absolutely gorgeous. Mm, yeah. Yeah, Rude is great here as well. He, he has always done a really great Superman. He has, like, classic um almost um cook-esque style yeah there are a couple of panels here he reminds me of the uh the max fleischer superman cartoons Mm -hmm. yep yeah that too yeah good point mr wacky appears in this comic 
by what, the way. Where? Where? Page nineteen. Oh yeah, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> Bendis is a Bendis is a prophet. Yeah. He he foretold the coming of Mister Wacky. <laughs> he he is truly he understands what it means to be an inflatable. Telling you, man, I was crying, <laughs> laughing at that. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, just <laughs> just Google like Mister Wacky or um, World's Worst uh, News Remote or something. You'll, you'll find inflatable. it. Inflatable. <laughs> Mister Wacky Inflatable. Google that. Yeah. Oh my god. And and uh, and then tell yourself that you're not watching a Tim and Eric sketch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just really, really good, guys. This comic is just damn good. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm really excited for where this is gonna go, and this excites me for the Bendis. Action and, and uh, Superman stuff. Never yeah. thought I'd say those words. Yeah, he's yeah. nailing it right now. Well, that does it for this week. Let's look at next week, guys. What's coming out next week? I think we got Hawkman number one. Oh yeah, we have um, Plastic Man number one. Oh, that's next week too. Oh my so. god. Um, what else? Uh, detect the first non-Tinian detective comic. It's a fill-in issue. It's not. It's not Brian yeah. Hill yet either. No, it's Michael Mauricio, I believe. I believe so. Yes. Uh, another Eternity Girl. Mm-hmm. Another Mister Miracle. Some more Batgirl Flash War. Yeah. Flash War. Yep. Batgirl versus Riddler. I think more- is this the penultimate new Superman issue? Oh, is that right? I believe so. Yes, you're right. Yep. And then it also has the Titans special, which introduces the uh, new Titans team. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. A Michael Cray. It looks like. Yeah. Almost like my and Mister Miracle. More Wonder Man. Woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, baby. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds all right. Yeah. I'll I'll like some of that, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds about right. Well, folks, until then, you can find the three of us all on Twitter. I am at Mr. Wacky. (laughs) I'm at LCD underscore lounge system. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, did we lose Zach? No, sorry, I'm here. Okay. Did you fall? As- <laughs> did you fall asleep? You wino? No, I'm here. I'm at an inflatable. <laughs> uh, you guys are really committed to the bit. We are. We are. I've uh, I've already filed paperwork to legally change my name to Mr. Wacky. So. <laughs> um. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week. With uh, with more DC three cast, and obviously we're gonna have an update on the Mister Wacky situation. So stay tuned. Good night. Don't worry. <laughs>
I yeah. like her so much. Oh no, you're really <laughs> slurring. <laughs> no wonder you're so fervently defending Kanye. Yeah. Oh, sometimes I drink all the wine. <laughs> <laughs>